Well, good morning, everyone. So great to be back here at our Sugarland campus. What a worship experience this morning, isn't it? Just amazing to listen to our choir and our singers. Uh, just and the orchestra. It's just great to be back here. Uh, welcome to all of you that are watching online, no matter where you're at. Maybe it's afternoon for you. Maybe you're on the other side of the globe watching. Glad that you are here, a part of our family. And of course, a big shout out to my home campus, Richmond Rosenberg. Uh, I miss being with you today, but I will be back there live and in person next week. By the way, my name is Tim Holma. If we've never met, I'm the campus pastor over at our Richmond Rosenberg campus. You should come see us. It's a pretty cool place. And it's great to be back here at Sugarland and uh, continue on in this series. A couple weeks ago, a friend and I, uh, we decided to go visit a mutual friend in Northwest Arkansas. So we left after church and we drove up to his lake house, which was the halfway point. And we spent the night and got up early the next morning and then we drove the rest of the way. We spent a couple days with our friend and on Tuesday we decided that we were just going to drive all the way back that day, just do the nine hours straight through. And my friend in Arkansas said, you're going to take 59, right? I'm like, of course, I know how to get home. It's 59. I know 59. It's like, That's great. It's a real scenic route. I'm like, awesome. I know 59. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, great. So we started driving. And I noticed right away that this 59 was a single lane road going each way. And it was in the mountains. I went, oh, never driven on this part of 59 before. Really pretty. But after two hours, I started to wonder if I was on the right 59, or if I was on the correct 59. And so I decided, well, let's just give a shout out to my wife. So I called my wife and I said, honey, can you pull me up on your phone and see where I'm at? Am I on 59? She said, well, my map says you're in the middle of the forest. I said, huh, that's interesting. My GPS says I'm in the middle of the forest on my truck. I go, but there's got to be a 59. And she said, there's a road coming up. Get ready to turn. Ready? Turn now. I go, honey, there is no road. It's woods. It's trees. It's mountains. And then she said, you're probably going to have to stop for directions. <laughs> She's funny, isn't she? Because my way of living is that I don't ask for directions. I'm that stereotypical male that says, ha, I can get us home. But as we continue driving for another hour on this one-lane 59 road, we're now heading east. East is not Houston. South is Houston. And my friend leans over to me and says, Tim, maybe we should stop and ask for directions. So we get through an area where we enter into a small town and there's a gas station. And I reluctantly drove into the gas station. I reluctantly parked into a parking spot. And I sat there and then I said these words. Now what? I, I'm not going in there to ask for directions. Are you kidding me? I sat there... I simply turned my phone off, reset it, it popped back on, and I was on the road back to where I was going. That is my way of living. I got to a point, though, where I had accomplished something and in my mind where I knew where I was going and how to get there, and I was going to do that myself, but I came to a point where I didn't know. Now, it was the right 59. It just happened to be the scenic 59, and eventually we got onto the 59 that I knew, and we got home and all of that. But have you ever been in a place in your life where you've accomplished something or you've come to some point in your life where you just say, now what? See, Jesus was our rescuer. Pastor Mark talked about that last week, how he came to rescue us because things went wrong, as we heard two weeks ago. And we needed, it went so wrong that we needed a savior. We needed Jesus to come. 
And we understood that, but now what? And we are to, re- we are to reflect on that question this morning. Now what? What is our way of living in response to that? Because whether or not you understand this, you have a way of living, whether it's by accident or on purpose, whether it's headed in the right direction or the wrong direction. And today I wanna start off by looking at Psalm chapter one. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, open up the Psalm chapter one, verse one, and we're gonna look at two ways of living. Because in order for us to know and understand what's next, in our way of living, we have to understand the two ways that we can live this life. So beginning in Psalm 1, follow along with me as I read. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now those sound like really bad things, mockers, wicked, sinners, all of that. And the reason why it's here, the idea here is that there's a person who doesn't live this way like everybody else. They live a different life. They live a blessed life, or in other words, a happy life. They don't fall into the default of everyone else's way of living, how the world runs. And then it continues on. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord? And who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And the idea comes to mind that here again, obviously, we're not asking, God's not asking us to meditate on the book of Numbers all day long, or the book of Leviticus, or one of those books in the Bible where we have no idea. We're trying to even understand some of the Greek and the the lineage. But the idea here to meditate on his law, on his word, is that God's word, God's law, It's purposeful, it's goodness, it's truthful. It's his story for us, it's his presence in us. Because we all dwell on something. We all are constantly dwelling on something. Oftentimes we're dwelling on what we delight in, what we like. Other times we're dwelling on things that we're fearful of. But to dwell in our minds on what is good, to find delight and to find joy in that, that's the core to a healthy life, that's the core to a healthy way of living. And at the end of that Psalm, of Psalm one, it says this, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous or the truly good people. You notice that he's watching not just over the people, but over the way of the people. But the way of the wicked, lost people, people whose lives are marked by brokenness, by sin, by ego, by self, their way is headed toward perishing. And there's this idea that we can find a way to live a healthy life, but there's also a way that we can find a way to live a life that's not so healthy, that's destructive, that's based on addiction, that's based on selfishness, that there's a a need for pleasure, a need for success, or a need for money. We arrange our lives around the things that we want or the things that God wants, it's up to us. So how are you rearranging your life today? And what are you rearranging your life around? See, and now in Jesus' day, it was quite simple. When it came to people wanting to rearrange their lives around Jesus, they would just simply stop what they were doing. They would leave their boats, they would leave their nets, they would simply physically follow Jesus. And then Jesus died and was resurrected and a new community of people was formed. And we find their way of life, their next step, their now what moment in Acts chapter two. 
And we know this passage of scripture. It's one of those very familiar, we, we hear it in circles all the time around the church, that people at this time in this community, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They gathered together at the temple. They sold possessions to give to others who were in need. They met in each other's homes to have meals. They had a very clear way of life. Their way sounds very familiar to the way of Sugar Creek, where we come to worship, where we connect together in connect groups and small groups in our homes and at church, where we serve one another through God using our gifts and abilities and talents, where we share our possessions, where we share our faith with other people. That's the foundation of who we are here at Sugar Creek. So the question I want you and I to ask God this morning is this, God, will you show us the way of life where we can be connected with you and experience transformation, where we can, where we can experience forward motion in our walk with you? Because I will always be tempted, and you will always be tempted to cling on to the life that you have right now, that you're living. And I live this kind of life where I cling on to what I want, and in the moment where I need God, then I'll sprinkle a little God on that moment. It's like, God, I'm, I've got this. I'm on the throne. I'm doing fine. When I need you, I'll pick up the red hotline. I'll give you a call. God, I need you. Come on in. And then when I'm done, like, God, thanks. You go back to ruling the world. There'll be times for us where we're in our own life. We have everything arranged, and we don't want to change because it's too uncomfortable to change. We get to the point where we go, you know, I don't want to rearrange things. I'm really comfortable where I'm at. That's just going to be overwhelming for me. I'm just going to stay where I'm at, current. So the invitation here is to move forward and understand that God wants to show us more in our life, to invite God to change us. But I have to recognize something. I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's my new life. When I made that decision to surrender my life to Jesus, my life died. And now I live the way Jesus wants me to live. The old self, the old reputation, the old success, the old stuff that I thought I had to grab onto, I no longer have to hang on to it. I'm now free. And now I can move to our new way of living. But it's gonna take some steps to do that. It's gonna take some things in our life to be able to say, okay, now what? Now how do I respond to someone who's come to rescue us? How do I transform my life moving forward? Well, step one is that we're to find God in all things. To find God in all things. There's a way that's deeply associated with the Bible. It's called life change. Throughout scripture, we see life change happen in the stories of the men and women written about in the Bible by God. But we need to be able to find God in things as well, to find God in everything, like in speaking. When's the last time that you spoke to someone and you, you heard God in that person? You saw God in that person and the things that they said to you and how they talked to you and how they related to you? When's the last time that you took a walk and you took a walk with God? It was just you and him on a walk. When's the last time in looking that you saw God everywhere, where you saw the Lord in the beauty of nature, or you saw God in this building, or in art, or in something in nature? Or you saw God in tasting. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When's the last time you had an unbelievable steak 
and you took a bite out of that steak and you went, God, thank you. This tastes amazing. Or a piece of fruit or a vegetable or a salad where you just took a bite out of that food and you went, God, this is from you. This is for me, from you. In your thinking, where do you see God in your thinking, the thoughts, where is your mind says, your mind set on the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> which brings life and peace in everything that we do. So the invitation for us is to find God in everything. And the question is though, how is that working for you? How is life working for you in finding God in everything? How would you rearrange your life if you were able to do that, to incorporate God in all areas of your life? Because realize it or not, we rearrange our lives every single day. We rearrange everything. Things are always changing in our life. We're constantly rearranging, so it's nothing new, and it's not too difficult to rearrange our lives. So this what's next message, what now regarding the core message of the Christian faith, I want to try as best I can to explain that so that you won't walk out of here wondering how to experience transformation in your life. If you're stuck, or if you're new to this, or you just need a kickstart in your faith, my prayer is that you will walk out of here today feeling this desire to see God in everything. Life is full of changes, constant changes all the time. Today there will be a change in your life that's gonna change the pathway for tomorrow. Something's gonna happen, it always happens. We experience change on a regular basis. We notice change on a regular basis. A mother was sitting down and looking at a photo album with her four-year-old son. And they were going through the pages and he was seeing all these pictures and they happened to stop at one particular picture where the son kind of stared at it. And he was looking at it and he, was, he looked really perplexed. And his mom said, son, what's the matter? He said, who is this curly-haired, young, skinny guy? And the mom said, well, that's your dad. And he looked even more confused. He goes, then who's the old fat guy in the other room? <clears throat> change is inevitable, right? But there are certain things, we call them life change events, that happen in our life. They happen on a regular basis. There are things that alter the direction of our life. They're natural. For instance, let's use the example of graduating from college. You wouldn't graduate from college, and then after that event, Go and live back at home for the next 30 to 40 years under the curfew of your parents. That life-changing event is going to catapult you forward into adulthood, into, into your career. You wouldn't get married and have your spouse go back and live with their parents and you go back and live with your parents. That's a life-changing event where you got married, now the two are one and you go to your new home and you start a whole new life. That's a life-change event. One of the highest values that we have at this church is life change. It's in the purpose statement. We all say every Sunday to love and lead all people to what? Life change in Christ. We believe that when Jesus gets a hold of our heart, when we surrender to him, we change from the inside out. That Jesus comes in and he changes our goals and our priorities. He changes our relationships and he changes our character. He changes our life. Paul shares this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's a very familiar verse to all of us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone who's made a decision to surrender their life to Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Becoming a follower of, of Jesus is not something we celebrate one time and we forget. 
We don't check it off as a bucket list and go, done it, all right, Jesus is in my life. Then we move back to our old way of living. Following Jesus demands and requires us to change, and it begins from the inside out. Paul goes into great detail in Ephesians chapter four, and I wanna read this to you. Follow along with me, beginning in verse 17. With the Lord's authority, let me say this. Live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and have hardened their hearts against him. They don't care anymore about right and wrong, and they have given themselves over immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. But that isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ. Since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. When you accepted Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you're a new creation, you're a new person, you're righteous, you're forgiven, you're free, you're holy, you're true, you're whole. And that begins the movement, that life change event begins the movement toward transformation. And again, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 16, 24. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me and follow me and, change, and give their, surrender their lives to me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this leads me to my second step in what's next in this new way of living for Jesus. A spiritual walk with Christ requires a denial of self. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, deny themselves and take up the cross, take up his cross. And that word deny is in the Greek means to disown your own life, to reject your own life, to move as your life being unimportant and following Jesus as key and most important in your life. And that word self there, that other word deny self, Jesus is talking about that part of us that wants that, that natural pull to do our things our own way. I want, this is my way, I'm gonna do it my way. That we're to deny that in us, to reject it, to disown it. It's human nature for us to wanna seek our own way, to be our own boss. Here's the truth though, the problem here is that Jesus cannot be the Lord of your life if you're the Lord of your life. He can't, you can't share the throne. You can't decide, Jesus, you take the throne now, I'm a little busy, I'll come back. It's all or nothing. Jesus is actually calling us to give up the throne of our life and allow God and his word to reign in our life, to guide us. And when we do that, God's in control. God's reigning in our life. But what does it mean to take up a cross? Does that mean that all of us go out and find a 300 pound beam and we carry it around? You know, we've gotten to a point in our society where we have romanticized the cross. Many of us wear crosses around as symbols that we think are elegant or beautiful or pretty or they, maybe they do remind us of our faith. Some of us have tattoos. I'm one of those. I have a tattoo of a cross on my forearm that is very significant to me. But the cross in Jesus' day meant death. It meant disgrace. It meant suffering. You see, a call to the cross 
is a call to suffer anything anyone brings against you because of your connection to Christ. That means that being, you're gonna be disgraced in the eyes of others because of your love for Jesus. That means being laughed at, ridiculed, appearing as a failure. And whatever it means, you are willing to take the harassment from others to follow the will of God. That's what it means to take up the cross. To take up your cross means that you die to the need for approval from others. To take up the cross means that you die to the world's definition of success. To die to the cross means that you die to goals and aspirations that come from your desire for accolades from others. We're to deny ourselves, our way of living, to follow Jesus, and by following him, we take up the cross, understanding what comes with that, that others will turn their backs on us, but we're gonna do that willingly because God's gonna transform us and he's gonna use us in the lives of other people because of the decisions we made to follow Jesus. Which leads to my third step. A spiritual walk with Christ requires following him. First, we deny ourselves, we take up the cross, and then we follow. Look what First Peter, in First Peter, what Peter says in chapter two, verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What does that mean? That Jesus says to follow me means that you obey my word, the Bible. You wanna follow me? Then listen to what the Bible says and obey what the Bible says. Follow what the Bible says. Look what it says in John chapter eight, verse 31. Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You want, to be a, you want to be looked at as a true disciple of Jesus? Abide in his word. You know what that word abide means? It means camp in, build a tent in, live in, remain in, stay in, because it produces life like a plant planted in soil. It stays true and it gets its nutrients there. If you remain in God's word, you will grow. If you plant yourself in God's word, if you remain in there, if you, plant, you, you build a tent and you hang out in God's word, you will grow. And Jesus is saying that, that the proof that you are my disciples, that you are a follower of mine, is that you love and obey what is written in this book. And then you can go to old, the Old Testament passage in Isaiah, which is crazy. When I read this, it really changed my, my mindset on transformation. In verse 66 of chapter two of Isaiah, it says this. Sorry, chapter 66, verse two. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That word tremble in the Hebrew means sharad. And the word sharad actually means to honor to the point where it changes your behavior. It doesn't mean you're shaking at his word, but it has such impact that it's like you're getting the goosebumps reading it, like I'm gonna change because that is just changing my life. It's affecting me at the deepest core of my being. And it's shaking me to the core where I'm gonna honor it and I'm gonna change because of it. The proof that we are following Jesus is that we love and obey God's word. And one way toward life change is that we incorporate the Bible into our everyday life. Paul, it's a great passage here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. A lot of us have heard this, but I love this verse. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. That means it's God's words. Every word is God's and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
This verse is saying that the Bible has been given to us to teach us what the right thing is, to show us where we've gotten off track, to get us back on track, and to show us how to stay on track for success later on in life. Why is the Bible so important? It is the only, understanding what the Bible said is the only way to know and experience true permanent life change. It's the only thing that will transform you to where God wants to move you. It's the power that helps us grow up. Learning and doing what the Bible says is the key to increasing your love for God and love for others. It will increase your joy and your happiness in your life. It will give you direction and understanding and making direct decisions. It will show you how to be more patient and more kind. It will show you how to have a better dating relationship, a stronger marriage, how to be a better parent, how to use your time wisely, how to manage your money. It will show you how to find and fulfill your life's purpose. In other words, everything in your life, every decision you make, every direction you're taking can be guided by this book. Everything that you're struggling with, every area of your life that you're having a hard time with, every attitude adjustment, every life circumstance, can be affected and move forward through God's word. So what does it mean to love and obey the Bible? It means that we need to get into it. I have said from this platform before that it is so important that I am in this thing every single day. I read God's word every single morning. I meditate on his word every single morning. And, and it's a habit, it's a rhythm of my life. It's like I get up and brush my teeth, it's I get up and get in God's word. And if this hasn't become a rhythm of your life, let me encourage you, it takes 26 days to create a habit, 26 days. So why not for the next 26 days, for five minutes, read the Bible in the morning, or at the end of the day, or find a time in your day where it works, and create a rhythm. Find a way to incorporate the Bible into your life. Take it in and read the Bible every day. Remember it. Find passage of scripture that you can memorize where it helps you in areas that you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with a language issue or a thought issue or an attitude. There are scriptures all for those things that you can memorize so that when you struggle, they will come to mind and you can quote those. To think about it, to meditate on God's word. I love meditating on God's word and finding something new and rich and deep in his word. Then I, like, I love putting God's word into practice by sharing it with others and talking about it, doing what it tells me to do. And over the long haul, it creates a consistency that I'm able to do all of this over a long period of time. It becomes a rhythm of my life. I can't see my life without reading God's word every day or meditating on his word. I can't. And once, we are, and once we've been willing to open our hearts to his truth, we are now responsible to leave the old junk behind. So many of us want to cling on to this old way of life. Well, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You know what I've said. God says we're a new creation. That stuff's in the past. We can't change the past. God wants to change your future by living through you in the presence. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. But that isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ. Since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth, that is in Jesus. Throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. And then in verse 23, they go hand in hand here. There must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitude. I love this passage in scripture in John in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, where it says, this book of the law, 
shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you are careful to do according to all that is written in it. So then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. A person who has accepted Jesus has made the decision to be influenced by someone other than himself. See, we were made to count. We were made to have significance and make an impact. All of us wanna live in a world where we're, we make a difference while we're here. And that's a good thing. You and I have a drive to be significant and to have influence. We all have a craving for inspiration. We all have a craving for goodness. We all have a cra- craving for guidance, for assurance that our life is worth living. But we must live under an influence. Because if you don't live under a good influence, you'll live under a bad influence. For many of you, you may not know this, but before I became a pastor, I was a counselor in the state of Illinois. And my responsibility was to take court-ordered adults who were struggling with addiction and go through um, therapy with them. And I counseled them on a regular basis. But one of my responsibility was to attend 12-step programs with them. And I had the opportunity to go to Alcoholic Anonymous um, and listen to the stories of those uh, addicts struggling to overcome this addiction. Many of the stories that they told brought laughter, brought tears. Most of them were embellished. They were made up. They were urban myths because oftentimes those stories were told by men and women who were under the influence. But there was a story this year that came out about a woman in Portland, Maine. She was driving and she drove her car through the police garage. She drove it over the pedestrian walkway by the police station and down the stairs of the parking area in the police station. And the police showed up and they were questioning the woman, what happened? And she said, well, the GPS told me to go this direction. Well, we know that the GPS would not have told her to go down the police stairs because she was under the influence. You see, no matter whether the stories are laughter or tears or tears, they often end in tragedy for those that are under an influence that is not positive, that is not good in their life. You know, one of the founding moments in the creation of Alcoholic Anonymous was the story of a man named Roland. Back in 1932, Roland, who was a hopeless alcoholic, went to see this, the famous psychologist, Carl Jung. And while he was being treated for a year, Roland discovered a way to become sober. So he thought. <clears throat> and after a year, Carl Jung released him. And before Roland got on the boat back to head, to head back to the United States, he was drunk again. And he went over to Carl Jung, and this is what Carl Jung said to Roland. He said, well, I know of nothing that could help somebody like you. And Roland then felt like the gates of hell had closed in on his life, and he had nothing in his life. But then Jung stopped, and he said, but wait, there is one thing. I know some people who have had a vital religious experience of transformation. And so Roland ended up becoming a part of a group now known as the Oxford Group, and he, in turn, turned somebody else who was struggling with addiction into, uh, onto the Oxford group, who then turned somebody else. And that other person was a guy named Bill W., the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. 30 years later, Bill W. wrote Carl Jung a letter to let him know that he was inspirational in the launching of this 12-step program. And here's what Jung said in response back to Bill W. about Roland. He said, Roland's craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our desire for wholeness. 
He said it's the thirst for union with God, the transcendence, the transformation. And then he goes on to say alcohol in Latin is spiritus. And we notice that in bars and restaurants and places where their liquor is sold, we'll still see the word spirits. It means alcohol. It's, we use the same word for the highest religious experience as well as the most depraving poison, Jung says. He said that it's spiritus contra spiritum, spirit against spirit. And that's what goes on in our life every single day. Our spirit against the Holy Spirit, battling for reign, who's gonna reign on our throne. The battle at the spiritual level of one spirit battling against another. So which spirit will you come under the influence? It's striking to read that this related to a passage of scripture that I thought was really important, a couple passages actually. We see Paul talking to the church of Ephesus where he says, be careful how you live as wise, not as foolish, for the days are evil, redeeming the time. And then he says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to destruction, corruption, lawlessness, debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. There is something about using a substance like alcohol to try to change our mood, to try to change our influence, our posture, and the way that we think and the way we act. It's kind of like it's just a poor imitator of what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. And then I was thinking about the second chapter of Acts, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon a group of people, and they're speaking like with wisdom and with power, and people on the outside, the scoffers are looking at it like, look, there are a bunch of drunks, and Peter goes, no, they're not. It's 9 a.m., they're not drinking. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God changed those people. So what influence will you live under today? Will you live under the influence of alcohol? The influence of the substance? Will you live under the influence of a thirst for someone's approval? Will you live under the influence for revenge because someone has hurt you? Will you live under the influence of a sense of inadequacy? Or will you live for the thirst of transformation in your life? A new way of living with inspiration that can actually be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so today, today you get to choose. You get to choose what influence by starting right now. How will you be influenced living your life today moving forward? I want to make our life count. I want to make my life count. You want to make your life count. You want to have influence in the lives of others. I want to have influence in the lives of others. I want my life to have an impact. And the only way that can happen can happen and be a part of a story because we're all a part of a story. Every one of us has a story, a narrative about our life for how we live our lives. You think about the people in the Great Depression. Those that came out of the Great Depression, they lived a certain way of life. They never thought, even after the Great Depression was over, they never thought they had enough. So what'd they do? They hid money between their mattresses. That was their way of life. But see, you and I live by a different story, by the story of the cross. A story filled of self-giving, of love, of forgiveness, of humility, of death to self, placing my desires in submission to what will be better, what is truly good. Trusting, depending wholly on God, finding his power when I come to him, finding his strength through my weakness. I can't, he can, so I'll let him. I can't do this on my own, he can. So I'll let him. To be under the influence today, today ask God, God, would you influence me? 
Would you influence me in the sphere of influence and power? Would you influence the very thoughts that come out of my mind? Would you influence the very words that come out of my mouth? Would you influence the images that I see as I look around at your beauty, when I look around, particular, at other human beings? Would you influence my actions? Would you influence my rest? Today, will you live under the influence of the Holy Spirit and be transformed to a new way of life? Live under the influence that alone can make your life count. And maybe this morning you want to live under the, a new influence because the life and the influence in your life right now is not healthy. You haven't been living a good way. And maybe today's the day that you surrender your desire, clinging on to your life, and you surrender to Jesus, to his influence. Maybe it's today is the day you surrender your life to him. Or maybe today is the day you restart your life, you kickstart your life to be influenced again by God and not by you, not by other things that will take you away from him. Today's the day you can do that. I'd love to talk to you afterward if you want to pursue that. There are people in our Next Step Center right out here to my right when you leave this morning that would love to pray with you and talk to you about this relationship with Jesus, this influence through the Holy Spirit. Today could be the day where you're influenced to make a difference in this world and make your life count. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the influence in our life that he brings. Lord, we surrender our lives to you today. We allow you to take the throne. We give you the throne. We want to obey your word. We want to follow you. We love your word. We love that your word guides us and directs us. So today we surrender our own will to you to follow your will, your direction, your path. Lord, today we just freely say the new way of life is to follow you. May we follow you completely, surrendering our life to you, and we pray this in your son's name, amen.